Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Welcome to World Cups in a Nutshell on SEN. Have your say. Call 1300 01 1170 or text 0457 736 736. Yes, good morning everybody and welcome to Tradies News in a Nutshell, the continuing World Cup edition on Tuesday the 14th of November across the SEN network and on 1170 AM in Sydney, SENQ693 AM throughout Queensland and 1620 AM on the Gold Coast. Alex Molchanoff, delighted to be back with you this week, continuing to sit in for Dan Pettigrew, who I can report has made it safely to Britannia, ready for a World Cup final in just under a week's time. And we've actually got the Gillaroos in action as we get the show underway this morning. They lead 46 points to nil over PNG early stages of the second half in that World Cup semi-final. So it looks as though Australia will have a team in the men's and the women's edition when it rolls around next Monday morning, our time. Today in Sydney, weather, a top of 24 with a chance of showers later this afternoon, a top of 26 degrees out west in Brisbane today. They're making me jealous. Sunday, sunny and 33 without a cloud in the sight. In the sky, 29 on the Gold Coast, the Sunshine State living up to its name again. Today, we're looking back at the first of the World Cup finals on Sunday night, the T20 World Cup final, bemoaning England's victory. Another World Cup won by the Poms on our soil. Another tortured t- chapter in our sporting history. We'll talk the latest NRL off-season news with the no- Tigers and the Knights edging closer to a trade. The Rugby League World Cup final, some more stadium wars between the Roosters and Sydney FC. We're crossing to Chris Perkins in the US as well after another big weekend in the NFL. And of course, I'll be taking all your calls on one 1170 or shoot me a text 0457 736 736. I'd love your input on the topics that will be taking us right through the morning with Jimmy Smith and Brandy from 6am in Sydney, Patton Hills from 6am in Queensland, and then Matt White from 9am across both those stations and states. This morning's top stories, and for the final time, we'll hit this little stinger. Time to get the latest from the T20 World Cup. Ben Stokes, ever-present, faces up. He swings across the line and hits the winning run. Ben Stokes waves his bat in jubilation to 80,000 at the MCG. And England stands as the dominant force in white ball crickets. Look, covered yesterday, but this is my opportunity to begrudgingly congratulate England on their World Cup triumph. They now hold the 50 over and 20 over World Cups. And the mastermind behind it all, of course, is an Aussie. Matthew Mott, who most know by now, was the very successful coach of our Aussie women's team. Had great success with them, including some World Cups. They're there as well. And unsurprisingly, that has translated into success into success in the men's game, unfortunately, this time with our biggest rivals. Whilst our Aussies splutter and stumble towards the next year's ashes, the English confidence will be riding high ahead of their summer on the back of their white ball team. Who would have thought that a decade ago? The tortured inventors of the sport, for a long time unable to win a World Cup in the sport they introduced to the rest of the world, have now well and truly shrugged that monkey off their back with the help as when they reclaimed the Ashes for the first time in two decades under Trevor Bayliss in 2005 with the help of an Aussie. As well as Mike Hussey, 
as part of the assist. It doesn't that sting having Mike Hussey, one of the legends, one of the great guys of Australian cricket, as part of that coaching stuff as well. We all know the best English triumphs come with Aussies at the helm. Just in case you've forgotten, Eddie Jones is about to take an English rugby union side to France next year to try and win a World Cup in a different code. 20 years since that team last won one on our shores, no less. An omen? I'm hoping not. But Aussies coaching English national teams take our Makita power play for this morning. This season... This season, Makita is helping you rule the outdoors. These Aussie coaches just reminding the English that we have to be a part of everything good they do and good on them. Serious outdoor work requires serious outdoor tools. Makita, rule the outdoors. Now to the NRL, where the Daily Telegraph are reporting this morning that the West Tigers and Newcastle Knights swap deal is all but done. Jackson Hastings and David Clemmer both told to stay away from training yesterday as their two clubs wrap up negotiations for Hastings. It means a crack at wearing the number seven jersey in the Hunter. While Clemmer will secure an extension, which the Knights were apparently keen to avoid offering the 28-year-old. So who wins this deal? Does anyone win? For me, both the players end up in better situations for them personally. And... You could argue for their hip pocket as well, but I don't think it particularly improves either team, particularly after the season Hastings had at the Tigers in a team that won the wooden spoon. Why would you move him on? So you can bring John Bateman in because the two reportedly don't get on? Bizarre. And for Clemmer, he'll be a good addition, but they've already got a pretty strong forward pack coming in this year, the Tigers. Perhaps it bolsters that. Perhaps Tim Sheens is going to try and rattle teams up front and Win footy games that way. Do you think it'll work? Give me a call. Oh, uh, oh, shoot me a text first. 0457 736 736. Or you can give me a call. 1300 1170. Also in Rugby League today. It's now time for a Rugby League World Cup update. I just want to spend a moment on the Samoans ahead of the World Cup final on Monday morning, Australian time. Just under a week away, that came. Junior Balo given a reprieve by the match review committee on Sunday night and is now free to play in that final against Australia, despite being sin-binned for a dangerous tackle on Tom Burgess in the semi-final. Michael Chamis has this piece in the Sydney Morning Herald today. The win tonight is overwhelming, but never forget the impact we have had on the world, Barlow said to his team inside the away dressing room at the Emirates Stadium in London in the aftermath of his side's win. Don't forget the impact we have had on those people around the world who have never met us, but have supported us right from the get-go. They have never forgotten about us. It was very interesting to listen last week to Joel and Fletch talk to, uh, to listen to, sorry, Matty White talk to Steffi over in New Zealand about the impact that's had on the Tongan and Samoan communities, the performance of their team at the Rugby League World Cup. Big Tongan and Samoan population, obviously, over in New Zealand. But... The performance of the Samoans and the comeback, that story of them losing that opening game to the host, 60 points to six and managing to turn it around. It's been fantastic to watch. Um, and, you know, hearing those beautiful words from Bolo, fantastic. Terrific to hear what it means to him, to what it means to his countrymen. And let's hope that this is not the last meaningful game we see the Samoans play in the next four years. I spoke about the potential power 
of the international game on Friday. I heard Jimmy Smith say yesterday on his afternoon's program that the NRL won't budge on including more international windows until the new broadcast deal is done in four years' time. In my opinion, that can simply not allowed, be allowed to be the case. An end-of-year four or six nations tournament, even a pre-season one, although I'm sure the clubs would object to that. In any case, the public need to put pressure on the league because the momentum the game has now in International Rugby League can slow very quickly indeed. And the opportunity for growth has never been more obvious. That can all fizzle out very, very quickly if it's not continued to be driven forward. And as we speak, Australia's Jill Roos facing PNG in the women's semi-final. England take on New Zealand from 6.30am this morning in the other semi-final. But the Jill Roos leading 58 points to nil over PNG. I think you can pretty much pencil them, well, more than pencil them in. I think you can get the pen out to write them in Monday morning's World Cup final. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy or text 0457-736-736 on any of the that NRL news. And just before we head to our first break of the morning. Here's the latest from the 2022 FIFA Football World Cup. We're just six days from the kickoff of the soccer World Cup. And a reminder, you'll catch every game live here on SEN starting next Monday morning from 2.30am. Qatar versus Ecuador in the tournament opener. I'll be here to review it all from 5.30 that morning, as well as every day throughout the tournament. It's like Christmas for football fans. I think I said that last week. The Aussies have touched down over there in Qatar and begun training out of their opening game this time next week against France. Garen Kual in the news in the A-League this weekend. Just let me tell you a little bit about this kid. He's got massive family. Came down from Shepparton in Victoria. They were South Sudanese refugees. Managed to get out here from a refugee camp in Kenya. And they've got enough talent between the three players who have come through, the three brothers that have come through the Central Coast Mariners to supply Australia's forward line for the next decade. Perhaps that's going a little bit into hyperbole there. But Alu Kual, Garing's older brother, is already over at Stuttgart in Germany. He's been over there for a couple of years now after bursting onto the the Mariners seen in a similar way to Garang Qual. Qual is, Garang is still yet to start a senior game of international football. And he is probably the most talked about member now, certainly in the footballing community of this Socceroos squad. And he's a name that people are going to get to know over the next two weeks with any luck. He's going to be a weapon for Graham Arnold off the bench. I'm just going to play you the commentary from his goal for the Mariners on Sunday that got them back into the game against MacArthur FC, takes down a long ball and thumps the ball with venom into the top corner of the net. Have a listen to Simon Hill's call. Any time to think about it. He tings it across and finds Garrett Cole. Oh, my words. Oh, my goodness. That is simply extraordinary. That is, ladies and gentlemen, Garrett Cole. That is Garen Qual, And you can hear in Simon's voice there the excitement. That goal, the first touch, the way he brought the ball down and the violence with which, with which he struck it was quite something. Now, in Australian football, we've had the tendency to label our next big thing as the next Harry Kuehl over the last two decades. Harry has been the most exciting player, I would argue, that we've ever produced in terms of just must-watch television. A player who was willing to run at people, who could strike a ball like Garang struck that one on, on on Sunday. 
you remember Harry bursting onto the scene in the Premier League with Leeds United before a few other Aussies joined him at that club, including Mark Viduka and Jacob Burns. I don't like to do this. I don't like to compare players to others, particularly because in football, the kill comparison has become a little bit of a curse. Tommy Orr, Tom Rogic, Daniel Arzani have all held that label at different times. All have had their careers marred by injury. And safe to say the first two particularly have had good careers and we're still very early on on Arzani's, but they've not reached the heights of the great H. A similar fate, I would argue, befell spin bowlers in Australia after the retirement of Warnie. We went through a glut of them before settling on an offie rather than a leggy. The goat, Gaz, Nathan Lyon. But he certainly never had that label attached to him, the next Warnie. So what I'm looking for this morning is your favourite athlete who's been a little bit of a burdensome comparison for the next generation. As cool has been to young Aussie footballers and Warnie was to leg spinners in this country for the two decades after his retirement. 0457 736 736 will give me a call. 1300 01170. A couple of texts in already. And if you do want to give me a text, 0457 736 736. Hey, mate, on the League World Cup, the semi-final England versus Samoa wasn't even a full house. Would you say this World Cup has been a failure? Well, Chris from Condal Park, thanks for the text this morning, mate. I wouldn't say it's been a failure. I wouldn't say that. I think the, the TV ratings back here in Australia show you that there is enough interest in the International Rugby League. The fact that it's in England has been a challenge. Also, that semi-final, that semi-final on the weekend between England and Samoa was at the Emirates Stadium in North London. Not exactly a, a hub of rugby league. It is a football-dominated area of that country in a football-dominated la- national landscape in any case. I think the effort to get the numbers they did there. I thought it was a little bit odd that they decided to take that game there. I would have rather seen it in the north of England. I would have rather seen it in the heartland. Um, I think that contributed to the crowds more than overall interest in the game around Britain. But certainly you can point to crowds as a metric that have probably fallen a little bit short from where the organisers of that tournament would have liked it to be. So in short... No, I don't think the tournament has been a failure by any stretch of the imagination. I think they've had good crowds, particularly up in the north of England. But, yeah, taking that game to the Emirates in North London was a little bit of a strange decision for me. And from Jason in Rawbark down in Victoria, Alex, where did you work before SEN? What team do you support in the EPL and who do you support in the A-League? Well, I'm a neutral in the A-League, Jason. No, I was in the blue side of the Sydney Derby on the weekend. Enjoyed that spectacle very, very much. 35,000 out there at Allianz Stadium. Watched the wrong team, the Wanderers, who were very impressive. I give him that. I give them that. They've been very, very good under Marco Rodan to start this season. Uh, what team do I support in the EPL? I don't, Jason. I support Sheffield United down in the championship. They're my English club. And before SEN, a little bit of work at Sky Racing. I've done a little bit of community radio and I've ended up here lucky enough to be in this fantastic environment that I am and get to talk sport every day, which is a dream come true for a young kid from the northern beaches of Sydney. Also this morning we'll be chatting Live Golf as it heads to Adelaide. Greg Norman has been out in the media doing the rounds again overnight. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens there. The Wallabies in turmoil after another one-point loss over the weekend, this time to Italy. Dave Rennie under a bit of pressure to save his job. 
We're all getting a little bit carried away by that. We're a year out from a, a Rugby World Cup. Is it time to change the coach? I don't know about that. Max Verstappen defying team orders in the penultimate race of the Formula One season in Brazil. I found that interesting. And Cristiano Ronaldo. What did you make of this? A 90-minute interview with Piers Morgan. Basically trying to force his exit from Manchester United ahead of the World Cup. That was uh, quite extraordinary as that came out yesterday morning, our time. Cristiano Ronaldo going AWOL against his own club, Manchester United, in that interview with Piers Morgan. But next up, we're going to head north and we're going to talk some American sports with our good friend, Chris Perkins. Welcome back to Tradies News in a Nutshell. Tuesday, the 15th of November. Alex Molchanoff in the chair with you. We're headed north, getting across to the United States of America where there's been another big weekend in the NFL and college football. Chris Perkins is on the line to talk to us all about it. Good morning, good afternoon, Chris, to you where you are. How are you? Yeah, yeah good afternoon. Uh, yeah, crazy week of crazy weekend of NFL and college football. But hearing, hearing that intro, World Cups in a nutshell, a week from right now, we will be getting ready for the Americans' opener in Qatar against Ooh. Wales. It's the late game Monday. Isn't it an interesting little group you guys have got over there? Chris, I'll, I'll uh, give it to you now. Football's my first sport. Soccer's my, uh, my, my home base, my comfort, the one I go back to. What are you made of the uh, United States group before we get into all the NFL action? You think they're a chance to get out of it? Uh, yeah, I think they are. I think they're the second best team in the group behind England. Mm. But I think that England, that England-US game, the US has a shot at at uh, at beating England mm. in, in group play and actually winning this group. I Wales is going to be tricky and, and the the outside of sport uh circus that is US and Iran. It'll be interesting. Mm. I, I I made I made the joke from the moment the groups the groups were drawn, I could already hear the death to America chance at the street party in Tehran for that game. Well, it's going to be interesting with everything going on in Iran at the moment as well, looking as though FIFA are going to get involved yeah. with some of their selections. I'm going to get into all that later. I want to talk to you about the NFL. Only five teams have more than six wins through 10 games of the season. What on earth is going on? Is there a team that are, are looking more dominant? We've got the Philadelphia Eagles playing Monday night football tonight. Is there anyone who could go up and match them? Because at the moment, everyone seems to be losing games they should be winning. Uh, no one can find any sort of consistency at the moment. It, it's the it's the goal of the NFL to have parity. They've achieved that, haven't they? Year. This 2022, the NFL season, it is the essence of any given Sunday. Mm. Because that's exactly what you get on any given Sunday. Any team can beat another team. Now, we had a couple of blockbusters yesterday. Uh, we'll start in Green Bay with Dallas at uh, you know coming into the game at 6-2, and two, mm. going against Green Bay, who had lost five in a row, looked absolutely dead. They, they were dead. The, toe, the last rights had been performed. The corner had slapped a toe tag on them, and they were – they were being trotted off to the funeral home for the burial. Uh, well, apparently Lazarus woke up. That would be Aaron Rodgers being the old man who woke up. Uh, what a fourth quarter that was. A couple of touchdown passes in the fourth quarter. Uh, looked better than he has looked all year. Christian Watson had his coming out party, the rookie second rounder out of North Dakota, 
who dropped a 75-yard touchdown pass on the first play of the season and hadn't gotten a lot better of the rest of the, from that point on, had a couple of drops yesterday, and then all of a sudden remembered how to catch a football. <laughs> Caught three touchdown passes. Had a hat trick. Got him to overtime. And, and the Packers wind up stunning the Cowboys at Lambeau 31-28. What what an incredible game. And then, I, to top that, the er, one of the early games yeah. that I didn't even get to see overtime of because I was in Wisconsin yesterday just outside Green Bay, and the local Fox affiliate had to flip to the Green Bay game right when Minnesota <laughs> and Buffalo went to overtime. How crazy was this ending? Buffalo and Minnesota both had this game won two or three times in the last two minutes of regulation. All right? Mm. Coming out of the two-minute warning, Minnesota's got a fourth and 18 Kurt Cousins, in a desperation moment, heaves it up, says, I have said Justin Jefferson's out there somewhere. The defender had two hands on the ball. Mm. Should have been an interception, game over, Buffalo wins in front of their home crowd in, in western New York. Except Justin Jefferson's right hand was in the, in the way, ripped the ball out of the defender's hands, somehow held on to it, did not let the ball hit the ground. It's a first down. Third and goal with less than a minute left. Finds Cousins finds Jefferson on a slant route. Gets tackled. Looks like he's in. Ruled in by the referee. They go to replay. Nope. Knees down. Balls at the half yard line. A penalty. We're at fourth and goal from the quarter yard line. Yep. All right. Kurt Cousins. Quarterback sneak. Buffalo stuffs him. Game over. Right. <laughs> except Buffalo has to run out the last 45 seconds on the clock. Uh, they screw up the simplest play in football, the center quarterback, quarterback exchange. It winds <laughs> up on the turf. Minnesota recovers, take the lead 30-27 with the defensive touchdown. Then Josh Allen takes him down the field in 41 seconds. They get the time field goal, and we go to overtime. Oh, my God. There there were 15 lifetimes lived by people in the last two minutes of regulation yesterday in Buffalo. It was mm. unreal. Minnesota winds up winning and improving, by the way, to 8-1. There you go. So the Minnesota Vikings, a surprise packet coming out of the NFC. I'm just going to throw your attention down south to what you called the most disgraceful division in the competition this year at the moment. Tom Brady and the Buccaneers are back at 500. After a five-point win over the yeah, Seahawks. Of, yeah, speaking of Lazarus rising from the dead, how about that <laughs> win in, in Munich for Tom Brady? Uh, you realize now Tom Brady is now 2-0 and as a divorced man. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know quite what to make of that, Chris, <laughs> but uh, if it's he, working for him, I'm sure a, the Buccaneers are happy. And... and I, I, I've said this on the overnight crowd the last couple of weeks now yep. since the divorce was finalized. I said, watch for Tom Brady. Now that he is fully focused on football, his personal life is sorted. Mm. He now has that chip back on his shoulder. It has two things printed on it. On one side is number 199. That, is the, that was his draft number. Yep. That was the pick in the draft he was back in 2000. Mm. The other side is two words. The first one begins with F. The second one ends in U. We're watching the Tom Brady 
the the Tom Brady farewell fu tour. I can totally see Brady and the Buccaneers somehow riding the ship after Brady gets divorced mm. and riding it all the way to a Super Bowl. They're in first in the NFC South at five and five. They're in the driver's seat to get a get a division title, a home playoff game, and we know how good Tom Brady is in January. Mm. Don't sleep on him even at this record. There you go. The Buccaneers, a sneaky chance, an outside chance in the NFC. Now, Monday night football tonight, your time. The unbeaten Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Washington Commanders. Any chance of an upset there? Uh, I'd say for a half. I think this will be competitive for a half. Uh, Philly's a a 10.5-point favorite. I'm not convinced they'll cover that. That's a lot of points. I, I love Philly's offense. I love their defense. I think Washington's sneaky good. Uh, and can make this a game uh, for a half. Uh, I'm tipping actually Washington plus six and a half for the first half. Always gamble responsibly. That, that, that's my pick. I think Washington keeps this game for a half. This a game for a half, and then mm. Philly says, "No, you are not taking out our goose egg no. in the loss column. We're going to nine and zero. Oh. So I, I think Philly wins. They're going to have to fight for it tonight, though. This this will be a better game at least for a little while than than people may expect. It's going to be interesting to see how far they can take that unbeaten record into this season. Quickly over to the college game, the top four all having wins over the over the weekend. Who was the most impressive for you? Yeah, actually, top five all win. Uh, Georgia all over, and, and they were convincing. Georgia over Mississippi State, Ohio State blast Indiana, Michigan hammers Nebraska, uh, TCU a great win for them, and this this is a win that should get them a lot more respect than they had going into Saturday night in Austin mm. by beating number eighteen Texas. TCU was a seven and a half point dog undefeated against a three-loss Texas team. Hmm. I took advantage of that, wound up winning some some decent cash on Saturday (laughs) night for that one. Uh, Number five, Tennessee. How about this for an offense? 726 total yards against Missouri. Hmm. Uh, Missouri came into the game with the number 13-ranked defense in the country. Not so anymore. Hmm. Can the Volunteers still squeeze in with a loss? They, you know, obviously led the poll for most of the early season. Can they squeeze into the to the college football playoff? They can. They're going to need some help. They got some help below them uh, when Oregon lost to Washington. Mm. LSU's there at seven, but they've got two losses. But they'll have a shot at the SEC championship against Georgia. Tennessee, yeah, they can get in. They do need some help though. They're going to need. Uh, Probably they're going to need the winner of the Ohio State Michigan game to wind up losing in the Big Ten championship game yep. uh, because they they need they need teams that are kind of at their level one loss without a conference championship mm. so yeah the possibility is still there but they definitely need a lot of help having that one loss and not being able to play in the SEC championship game so they don't have that conference championship tiebreaker mm. um, on their resume. It's going to be so, so fascinating to watch into the, the cold months. You're keeping warm, nice and warm in Missouri. I know it can get pretty chilly there. Yeah, uh, I was up at Lake I was in Wisconsin. I've been up north the last Even colder. Uh, kind of chilly. Uh, we had some snow down in southeast Missouri last week, uh, down at home. Uh, kind of early. There's another snowstorm that's blowing into the, into the Midwest uh, the next day or two. So... Yeah, it's it's November. We're used to it. Temperature right now is about five Celsius, uh, but 
you know, at least it looks warm outside because <laughs> the sun's out. So uh, when you're in the sun, it actually feels pretty decent. There you go. Good weather to watch football in. Chris, I've enjoyed your company again this Absolutely. morning. Thank you so much for your time on Tradies News in a nutshell. Have a great rest of your week. Uh, I, I will try. Have a good day. Uh, enjoy the Monday night game uh, here in a few hours. Will do. Will do. There he is, Chris Perkins from over in the USA. We'll recap all the top stories of the morning after this break. And just a quick update on the Gillaroos who lead PNG 76 points to nil with eight and a half minutes remaining in that World Cup semifinal. It looks like they'll be joining the Kangaroos in a World Cup final on Monday morning our time. Recapping the top stories after the break, Alex Molchanoff with you on Tradies News in a Nutshell. Stick with us. Welcome back to Tradies News in a Nutshell on this Tuesday morning. Alex Molchanoff in for Dan Pettigrew for the next week or so before the World Cup starts. We'll be shortening the hours of this show. We'll be on actually from Monday morning, which is unusual. We're not taking the NFL. We'll be taking the World Cup, the opening game between Qatar and Ecuador from 2.30. And then I'll be on from 5.30 to wrap it all up ahead of Vossi and Brandy from 6am. This morning, Jimmy Smith in the chair for Brandy because he's uh, because Vossi is over calling this game between Australia and PNG, the Gillaroos World Cup semi-final, which they lead 82 points to nil with just under four minutes to get to play. Just watched Emma Tonegato run away to complete her hat-trick in that one. A dominant victory for the Aussies. And they'll be meeting one of England or New Zealand in the final after that tight win in their final group game, they only just got over the Kiwi Ferns in that one. Still very, very heavy favourites, and I'd say that might have just firmed them even a little bit more as this game comes towards a conclusion with the Aussies leading by 82 points. Now, a couple of other stories I want to touch on this morning. Lift Golf announcing yesterday that it will be heading to Adelaide to the site of Greg Norman's first professional win in golf and the shark has come out in the daily telegraph with Brent Reed today saying that he thinks live golf critics, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy owe him and his Saudi backed rebel tour, a debt of gratitude, a thank you. He says would suffice competition is the best thing for everybody. Norman said moments after confirming live golf would host an Adelaide event next year. Competition is the best thing for the PGA tour. The players on the PGA tour are the beneficiaries of what Liv has done. Every PGA Tour player should be thanking Liv, including Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy. Prize money wouldn't have increased without Liv. All these ancillary things have been introduced that have been introduced by the PGA Tour are because of Liv Golf. Well, what do we make of that? 0457 736 736. I'll tell you what I think. I think actually Greg is right. I think he's correct. I think the threat the Liv have offered has meant that the PGA have had to kick themselves into the gear after dropping the ball over the past couple of decades. I think it's going to force them to open up a little bit more internationally. I think it's going to be a good thing for Australian golf because we're going to have professional events out here rather than just our own Australian tour, which is a, a positive thing. Now, Greg has said it's been a positive thing for the PGA Tour golfers. I wouldn't argue the same for the players that have followed him onto the Live Tour. Paul Casey, another one of the top 50 to fall outside the official World Golf rankings, and that is because the tournaments they are playing are not recognised by the official World Golf rankings, and nor should they, because they are exhibition tournaments. They are 60 players hand-picked to an invitational where they are 
given the money before they turn up. There are no cuts. It's not golf. It's not golf in the format that we've come to know professional golf for 100 years. The format the majors play. The format that every competition worth its salt has taken on for so, so long. And the viewing numbers are reflecting the fact that no one cares about Greg Norman's <laughs> breakaway tournament, not in the general public anyway. And the Shark is the king of inserting himself into the middle of every situation. Love to know your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. So give me a call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Anthony's texted in. The only two teenagers I saw dominate our National League before successful overseas careers are Paul Ocon and Brett Emerton. And actually, he's corrected himself there. He's added Mark Faduka, who was who I was going to add after reading that first text of yours, Anthony. So well done for catching yourself there. Yeah, Big Dukes was fantastic down for Melbourne Knights before he got that move to Dinamo Zagreb in Croatia. And then obviously Korea flourished from there with time with Celtic and Newcastle, Middlesbrough, and of course Leeds United with Harry Kuehl, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, is Garen Qual as good as these Guys, he's every bit as talented. I would actually say more talented, certainly, than Paul Ocon and Brett Emerton, naturally. He's got pace. He's willing to run at plays. But we have had players, I would argue, as well, that have had more talent than those guys over the past couple of decades and not been able to realise that potential. So that is the challenge for Garang, is going over there, breaking into a first team, probably in Portugal first, signed with Newcastle United, of course. He'll be over there in January. But he won't be able to get a, excuse me, he won't be able to get a work permit because he's not a fully fledged international of a top twenty-five team in the world. So it's going to be interesting for him. He's going to have to go out on loan, and he's going to have to develop probably in Portugal first, break into that league, a very strong competition, top five, six competitions in Europe, I would say. So that's going to be a fantastic learning ground for him, and if he can do that and be successful there, Have hopefully off the back of a good World Cup for the Socceroos, just to grow that star a little bit more, cre create a little bit more hype around him. I think there's every chance he could go on to have a career like that, as long as he stays on the straight and narrow, continues to work away at his game and gets opportunities in the first team overseas. That's all on him and all to see if he can do. Uh, some other stories that have gathered my attention a little bit over the weekend, the Wallabies in turmoil after another one-point loss, this time to Italy. They're in a pretty spectacular mess. Tom Decent going in depth today in the Sydney Morning Herald on all the areas in which our old gold fruit and nut, Sillaroy and HGism, are falling short. The Wallabies were the most penalised team in the world heading into the spring tour. And since we've been over in Europe, our average has only gone up. In Tom Decent's words, the Wallabies have a habit of coughing up the, the dumb ones and Saturday's Italy test was full of them. That, along with the Wallabies' inability to defend against what Deeson describes as a sophisticated second-wave attack, which they can expect more of against Ireland this weekend, have left them short of the mark. So is it just the fact that Rennie doesn't have the cattle? Or is a late change ahead of next year's World Cup a discussion that the ARU needs to be having? have to say, Rugby Union not a strength of mine, so I'd love your opinion and input into that. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, or give me shoot me a text, 0457 736 736. And I just want to play you a little bit of audio 
again from the round ball because this was quite spectacular as it unfolded yesterday. Cristiano Ronaldo, we know he's been unhappy at Manchester United. Feels he's being disrespected by new Dutch coach Eric Ten Hag. And he sat down with Piers Morgan, of all people, Piers Morgan, to air his grievances yesterday morning our time. Have a listen. They're trying to force you out. Yes, not only the coach, but the other two or three guys there around the club. At uh, the senior executive level. Yes, that I felt betrayed. And uh, you think they're trying to get rid of you? Honestly, I should not say that. I don't know. But listen, I, I don't care. I'm always, people should listen to the truth. Yes, I feel betrayed. And I felt that some people that don't want me here, not only this year, but last year too. Who am I to tell one of the greatest footballers in the world what he should be doing and, you know, how he should be acting around the club? But I can tell you very much now that Eric Ten Hag has done more than enough to extend the olive branch to Cristiano Ronaldo. Ronaldo has acted like a stroppy child at times, electing to walk down the tunnel at Old Trafford while his team were winning an important game against Tottenham Hotspur and Ten Hag was keen to bring him on for the end of the game to give the crowd something to rally around. He has been more than accommodating for all of Ronaldo's tantrums, gave him the captain's armband a couple of weeks ago at Aston Villa in a game they lost. Ten Hag is quite happy to have Ronaldo as part of the squad if he's willing to act as a squad member. But Cristiano is not interested in that. He's interested in starting games, scoring goals, and he's interested, as he has always been, about Cristiano Ronaldo. It's taken him to being one of the most decorated and most brilliant footballers we've ever had the pleasure of watching. But the petulance as he's gotten older, he's not aged gracefully. Cristiano. He's not the player he was five years ago, and he's not realising it. Hearing your grievances to try and get a move in January, he's he's arguing that he's being pushed out of the club. Well, doing interviews like that is pushing himself out of the club and trying to get other clubs interested in his services come January after this FIFA World Cup. The problem is no one can afford to pay his wages except probably two clubs, Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Manchester City have got a pretty good Norwegian kid, I don't know if you heard of him, called Erling Haaland, who's scored more goals, almost double the amount of goals as he's played games so far this season. So they're not too worried about their attacking stocks. And PSG's front three, Kylian Mbappe, Lionel Messi and Neymar, three of the stars of this upcoming World Cup, I would argue three probably... Probably put Karen Benzema in there. I would argue they're the three best attacking players in the world at the moment. So I don't think they'll be too interested in Cristiano's services to disrupt that little trio they've got going on there either. That's going to be a very interesting one to watch unfold. Would love your input on all of that ahead of Jimmy Smith and Brandy for breakfast this morning from 6 a.m. Sydney time, 5 a.m. up there in Queensland before Patton Hills take over from 6. And then Matt White across both networks from 9 a.m. this morning. We'll be back after a quick break to wrap everything up and give you a little bit of a score update as we head into breakfast with Jimmy Smith and Brandy. Tradies news in a nutshell on this Tuesday morning. Alex Molchanoff with you. Jimmy Smith and Brandy Alexander coming up after 6 o'clock in Sydney, 5 o'clock up there in Queensland, where just about eight minutes 
to the hour as we sit here now. A couple of scores from the world of tennis overnight. Billie Jean King Cup. Switzerland have won it, defeating our Aussies two rubbers to one to deny us our first win in that tournament back when it was still the Fed Cup since 1978. Jill Tiekman, the world number 35, defeating Storm Sanders, who had a wonderful tournament. The world number 239, playing as the Australians' second seed, went down 6-3, 4-6, to the Swiss' second seed. And Belinda Bencic defeated Ayla Tomjanovic 6-2, 6-1, to secure the victory. The first ever Billie Jean King Cup victory for the, for the Swiss, so congratulations to them. Uh, the World Tour Finals in Turin are underway at the moment. Kasper Ruud defeated Felix Auger-Aliassime 7-6-6-4. And Taylor Fritz, the American, upsetting Rafa Nadal 7-6-6-1 in the opening group game there. And in the doubles, Nick Kyrgios and Thanasi Kokonakis in action overnight. They went down to Englishman Neil Skupski and Dutchman Wesley Kulhoff 6-7-6-4 and 10-5 in the match tiebreak. So they'll need to win their two remaining matches to get through the group stage into Rin. Joel and Fletch need to get uh, need to post Ronaldo an A grader cap, says Chookman. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely ridiculous behaviour. What it went over there in that interview with Piz Morgan yesterday morning, our time. And just quickly to finish off on the round ball and ahead of this Qatar World Cup, this story comes from Tarek Panja. This is just going to be so fascinating. The stories coming out of the of the fan zones at this World Cup. With the opening game of the World Cup only days away, Qatari organisers have been working hurriedly in recent days to re- relocate Budweiser-branded beer stations at eight stadiums after a sudden demand that three people with knowledge of the belated change said had come from inside the country's royal family. The people spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorised to discuss sensitive planning details for the tournament, but World Cup officials appeared to confirm the changes In a statement, however, Budweiser said it only learned of the new plan on Saturday, eight days before the tournament's first game. The decision to move the beer stations appeared to be rooted in concern that the prominent presence of alcohol at stadiums during the month-long World Cup would unsettle the local population and thus represent a potential security problem. But it also highlighted an issue that has stalked the build-up to the first World Cup in the Arab world, and that is expected to be contentious throughout the tournament in Qatar, a conservative Muslim country where access to alcohol is tightly controlled. Couldn't agree more. This is the first World Cup in my lifetime that I can remember thinking, I'm glad I'm not there. I'm more than happy to sit back and listen to it on SEN. You'll be able to hear every game over the course of the tournament, including all the Socceroos, three group matches against France, Tunisia and Denmark. It's going to be very exciting to listen to those, and you'll also be able to watch them on the stations of SBS every game of the World Cup coming up on the SEN network. Next up, after this quick break and the news, Jimmy Smith, Brandy Alexander, to take you through all the big stories that we've been discussing this morning on Tradies. They're going to have a little bit more of an in-depth look at them, and, of course, you'll get all those big opinions through with them as well. 0457 736, the text line, or give them a call. one 1170 I've been Alex Molchanoff. Great to be with you on this Tuesday morning. We'll be back to do it all again tomorrow. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. 
Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91.